Chapter Ten of Book Three of De Anima by Aristotle, translated by R. D. Hicks. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Geoffrey Edwards. Chapter Ten. The motive causes are apparently, at any rate, these two: either appetency or intelligence if we regard imagination as one species of thinking for men often act contrary to knowledge in obedience to their imaginings while in the other animals there is no process of thinking or reasoning but solely imagination both these then are causes of locomotion intelligence and appetency by intelligence we mean that which calculates the means to an end that is the practical intellect which differs from the speculative intellect by the end at which it aims appetency too is directed to some end in every case for that which is the end of desire is the starting point of the practical intellect and the last stage in this process of thought is the starting point of action hence there is good reason for the view that these two are the causes of motion appetency and practical thought for it is the object of appetency which causes motion and the reason why thought causes motion is that the object of appetency is the starting point of thought again when imagination moves to action it does not move to action apart from appetency thus there is one single moving cause the appetitive faculty for had there been two intelligence and appetency which moved to action still they would have done so in virtue of some character common to both but as a matter of fact intellect is not found to cause motion apart from appetency for rational wish is appetency and when any one is moved in accordance with reason he is also moved according to rational wish but appetency may move a man in opposition to reason for concupiscence is a species of appetency while however intellect is always right appetency and imagination may be right or wrong hence it is invariably the object of appetency which causes motion but this object may be either the good or the apparent good not all good however but practical good whereby practical good we mean something which may not be good under all circumstances it is evident then that motion is due to the faculty of the soul corresponding to this object i mean what is known as appetency but those who divide the soul into parts if they divide it according to its powers and separate these from one another will find that such parts tend to become very numerous nutritive sensitive intelligent deliberative with the further addition of an appetent part for these differ more widely from one another than the concupiscent does from the passionate now desires arise which are contrary to one another and this occurs whenever reason and the appetites are opposed that is in those animals which have a perception of time for intelligence bids us resist because of the future while appetite has regard only to the immediate present for the pleasure of the moment appears absolutely pleasurable and absolutely good 
because we do not see the future therefore while generically the moving cause will be one namely the faculty of appetency as such and ultimately the object of appetency which without being in motion itself causes motion by the mere fact of being thought of or imagined numerically there is a plurality of moving causes now motion implies three things first that which causes motion secondly that whereby it causes motion and again thirdly that which is moved and of these that which causes motion is twofold firstly that which is itself unmoved and secondly that which both causes motion and is itself moved the unmoved movement is the practical good that which is moved and causes motion is the appetitive faculty for the animal which is moved is moved in so far as it desires and desire is a species of motion or activity and finally the thing moved is the animal but the instrument with which desire moves it once reached is a part of the body hence it must be dealt with under the functions common to body and soul for the present it may be enough to say summarily that we find that which causes motion by means of organs at the point where beginning and end coincide as for instance they do in the hinge joint for there the convex and the concave are respectively the end and the beginning with the result that the latter is at rest while the former moves convex and concave being logically distinct but locally inseparable for all animals move by pushing and pulling and accordingly there must be in them a fixed point like the centre in a circle and from this the motion must begin thus then in general terms as already stated the animal is capable of moving itself just in so far as it is appetitive and it cannot be appetitive without imagination now imagination may be rational or it may be imagination of sense of the latter the other animals also have a share chapter eleven we must also consider what is the moving cause in those imperfect animals which have only the sense of touch is it possible that they should have imagination and desire or is it not it is evident that they feel pleasure and pain and if they have these then of necessity they must also feel desire but how can they have imagination shall we say that as their movements are vague and indeterminate so though they have these faculties they have them in a vague and indeterminate form the imagination of sense then as we have said is found in the other animals also but deliberative imagination in those alone which have reason for the task of deciding whether to do this or that already implies reasoning and the pursuit of the greater good necessarily implies some single standard of measurement hence we have the power of constructing a single image out of a number of images and the reason why the lower animals are thought not to have opinion is that they do not possess that form of imagination which comes from inference while the latter implies the former and so appetency does not imply the deliberative faculty but sometimes it overpowers rational wish and moves to action at other times the latter 
rational wish overpowers the former appetency thus one appetency prevails over another appetency like one sphere over another sphere in the case where incontinence has supervened but by nature the upper sphere always has the predominance and is a moving cause so that the motion is actually the resultant of three orbits the cognitive faculty however is not subject to motion but is at rest the major premise is universal whether judgment or proposition while the minor has to do with a particular fact for while the former asserts that such and such a person ought to do such and such an act the latter asserts that a particular act is one of the sort and that i am such a person now it is the latter judgment which at once moves to action not the universal or shall we say that it is both together but the one is akin to the unmoved movement the other is not chapter twelve every living thing then must have the nutritive soul and in fact has a soul from its birth till its death for what has been born must necessarily grow reach maturity and decline and for these processes nutriment is indispensable it follows then of necessity that the nutritive faculty is present in all things that grow and decay but sensation is not necessarily present in all living things for wherever the body is uncompounded there can be no sense of touch yet without this sense animal existence is impossible nor again in those living things which are incapable of receiving forms apart from matter but the animal must of necessity possess sensation if nature makes nothing in vain for everything in nature subserves an end or else will be an accessory of things which subserve an end now every living body having the power of progression and yet lacking sensation would be destroyed and never reach full development which is its natural function for how in such a case is it to obtain nutriment motionless animals it is true have for nutriment that from which they have been developed but a body not stationary but produced by generation cannot possibly have a soul and an intelligence capable of judging without also having sensation neither can it if it be not generated for why should it have the one without the other presumably for the advantage either of the soul or of the body but neither of these alternatives is in fact admissible for the soul will be no better able to think and the body will be no better off for the absence of sensation we conclude then that no body that is not stationary has soul without having sensation but further the body assuming that it has sensation must be either simple or composite but it cannot be simple for then it would not have touch and this sense is indispensable this is clear from the following considerations the animal is an animate body now body is always tangible and it is that which is perceptible by touch which is tangible from which it follows that the body of the animal must have tactile sensation if the animal is to survive for the other senses that is to say smell sight hearing 
have media of sensation but a being which has no sensation will be unable when it comes into contact with things to avoid some and seize others and if this is so it will be impossible for the animal to survive this is why taste is a kind of touch for taste is of nutriment and nutriment is body which is tangible whereas sound colour and smell afford no nourishment and promote neither growth nor decay so that taste also must be a kind of touch because it is a sensation of that which is tangible and nutritive these two senses then are necessary to the animal and it is plain that without touch no animal can exist but the other senses are means to well-being and are necessary not to any and every species of animal but only to certain species as for example those capable of locomotion for if the animal capable of locomotion is to survive it must have sensation not only when in contact with anything but also at a distance from it and this will be secured if it can perceive through a medium the medium being capable of being acted upon and set in motion by the sensible object and the animal itself by the medium now that which causes motion from place to place produces a change operating within certain limits and that which propels causes the thing propelled to propel in turn the movement being transmitted through something intermediate the first in the series initiates motion and propels without being itself propelled while the last is simply propelled without propelling the numerous middle terms of the series both propel and are propelled so it is also with qualitative change except that what is subject to this change remains in the same place suppose we were to dip something into wax the movement in the wax would extend just so far down as we had dipped the object whereas in the like case a stone is not moved at all while water is disturbed to a great distance and air is disturbed to the farthest extent possible and acts and is acted upon as long as it remains unbroken and to revert to the reflection of light that is why instead of holding that the visual ray leaving the eye is reflected it would be better to say that the air is acted upon by the shape and colour so long as it is one and unbroken this is the case over any smooth surface and accordingly the air acts on the organ of sight in turn just as if the impress on the wax had penetrated right through to the other side chapter thirteen it is evident that the body of an animal cannot be uncompounded i mean it cannot consist entirely of fire for instance or of air an animal unless it has touch can have no other sense the animate body being always as we have remarked capable of tactile sensation now the other elements with the exception of earth would make sense organs but it is always indirectly and through media that such organs affect sensation touch however acts by direct contact with objects hence its name the other sense organs it is true also perceive by contact but it is by indirect contact touch alone it would seem perceives directly in and through itself thus then no one of the three elements referred to can constitute the body of the animal 
nor indeed can it be of earth for touch is a sort of mean between all tangible qualities and its organ is receptive not only of all the distinctive qualities of earth but also of heat and cold and all other tangible qualities and this is why we do not perceive anything with our bones and our hair and such parts of us namely because they are of earth and for the same reason plants too have no sensation because they are composed of earth without touch however there can be no other sense and the organ of this sense does not consist of earth nor of any other single element thus it is evident that this is the only sense the loss of which necessarily involves the death of the animal for it is not possible for anything that is not an animal to have this sense nor is it necessary for anything that is an animal to have any other sense besides this and this explains another fact the other sensibles i mean colour sound odour do not by their excess destroy the animal but only the corresponding sense organs except incidentally as when concurrently with the sound some thrust or blow is given or when objects of sight or smell move something else which destroys by contact flavour again destroys only in so far as it is at the same time tactile tangible qualities on the other hand as heat cold and hardness if in excess are fatal to the living animal for excess of any sensible object is fatal to the organ and so consequently excess of the tangible object is fatal to touch and it is by this sense that the life of the animal is defined touch having been proved to be indispensable to the existence of an animal hence excess intangible qualities destroys not only the sense organ but also the animal itself for touch is the one sense that the animal cannot do without the other senses which it possesses are as we have said the means not to its being but to its well-being thus the animal has sight to see with because it lives in air or water or speaking generally in a transparent medium it has taste on account of what is pleasant and painful to the end that it may perceive what is pleasant in food and feel desire and be impelled to movement it has hearing in order that information may be conveyed to it and a tongue that in its turn it may convey information to its fellow end of chapter thirteen end of book three and end of de anima by aristotle translated by r d hicks read by geoffrey edwards meta coordinated by guero proof listened by guero recording in memory of mitchell edwards